Our 2015 theme is Walk Worthy of Your Calling. Obviously, that comes from our key verse, which is Ephesians 4.1, where Paul encouraged us, urged us to walk worthy of our calling. He had spent the first few chapters explaining uh, what God had done for us, what Christ had done for us, and how we had been called to such a great uh, service at such a great cost. And then he begins in chapter 4 and encourages us to walk worthy of that. So that's what we're spending all year on, is different ways of thinking about that. We've looked at a number of different series already, about in our families, in our church, uh, as personal calling. And uh, this series that we've begun a few weeks ago, we're calling Laying Aside, because it's a little different aspect of the walking worthy Concept. The principle of laying aside is in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, and I know you can't read that version of it, but hopefully you're getting more and more familiar with it. Uh, let me read it to you from the NIV. Uh, Paul says, therefore, and every time you see therefore, you know he's been talking about it. He's been talking about a cloud of witnesses. He's been talking about the heroes of faith in chapter 11. And he says in 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything or let us lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Laying aside, Paul here, as he's done a number of times in his epistles, is compares the Christian walk to a race. Uh, races were big and uh, Paul's day, the Olympics, early Olympics, and all of that was about their only entertainment, I guess. And I, Paul talked about that a lot, compared things to a race or sometimes to a fight. Uh, a lot of similarities between the Christian walk and a race. Some differences, too. Uh, we'll point out some of those differences as we go through today, hopefully, if I remember to. But there's a lot of similarities. And... What he pictures in this passage is that as we're racing, we ought to get rid of anything that slows us down. That's his picture here. Uh, If you're in a race, you don't want to carry a lot of extra weight. Uh, Toby pictured that a couple of weeks ago for us uh, with Adam and a backpack and all that. uh, So visible that, well, obviously... You wouldn't want to carry all that. Obviously, that'd be a goofy way to race. You want to take all that off. You want to get as little a weight as possible. Well, I want to add to that picture and that extreme uh, with some motivation in the other direction, I guess. Uh, We're going to be talking today and most of this summer about small weights, almost inconsequential weights. Because of the seriousness of the race, 
Let me explain a little bit. Uh, back in the 60s, when I was um, in finishing high school and had a few things to do with track and all that, that shoe on the upper left there uh, was the hottest thing in track. Uh, Adidas 9-9s. How many of you remember Adidas 9-9s? Okay, somebody that, that still sticks in our head. Track shoes had been kind of big and heavy uh, compared to this anyway. And Adidas came out with one. That the, the shoes weighed 9.9 ounces. Now, coincidentally, uh, 9.9 was kind of the ultimate for running the 100-yard dash. So it kind of tied in with that. But they marketed these as the Adidas 99. And if you were a track person, especially if you were a sprinter, you just about had to have Adidas 99s. Now, I don't know how much faster they made you go, but they were the lightest shoe there. The concept was you got rid of a few ounces. Other shoes were heavier. They had to slow you down. So everybody wanted the Adidas 99. They were just made out of leather, but real light leather in a different style than anybody had ever made before, and everybody wanted them. Now today, with all the exotic fabrics we've got and materials we have and all that, there's lighter shoes. The one I pictured down there in the bottom right, uh, I looked up and it weighs 3.5 ounces. Just basically nothing. Well, that's what the best want. If you're going for world records, if you're in the Olympics, if you want to get the best time possible, you want the lightest thing you can get. You want to lay off anything that will encumber you or hinder you. Any extra weight you can get rid of. Now, if you watch the Olympics uh, these days, you'll see people in these exotic, skin-tight and the alien-looking, rubber-looking suit kind of things. Uh, there's some kind of skin-tight microfabric that Nike and others have invented. And the idea is that you put this on, then there's no drag. There's no air resistance. Uh, even the hairs on your arms won't slow you down. I mean, this is, you know, really, we're getting down to microseconds here. How much does this help? I don't know. But the people that are going for the world record think, if I put this on, I can cut through the wind just a little bit faster. This is what I want. I, I, I want the absolute best. I want to take off any air resistance. I want to take off any weight I can. Of course, they've already trained their body to be as perfect as they can get it. And now they're looking for any other advantage. Okay, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about somebody that doesn't just want to finish the race. See, I'll be honest with you, this sermon, this series, this topic doesn't apply to all Christians. Well, it applies to all Christians, but not all Christians worry much about it. If you just want to finish the race, you can run in boots. You know, if you just want to finish the race, you can leave your sweats on. There's a lot of people that that's, that's fine, that's good enough. Yeah. And, and they're going to finish. 
That's the way Christianity works. But what Paul's talking about here and what we're going to talk about all summer, the concept of holiness, is people that really take seriously the idea, I want to walk as worthy as possible. Paul tells us to walk worthy. I want to walk worthy. I understand what Jesus did for me, and I want to represent him well. That's a whole other level of thinking about Christianity in some ways. So that's what we're talking about this uh, summer in this series. Now, what I want to do this morning is go back through Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, in a totally different way than we've probably ever done it before. Uh, it may be a little bit confusing. If you've looked at your handout already, you may think, hold it, he, had, he got this all messed up. That verse is all out of whack. Well, that's the order I want to go through it in. Uh, we'll put the puzzle together at the end, but I picked out some phrases. We've got all the passage there, but I just want to do it in different pieces and see what we can learn as we go. So let's start with a real small phrase in there. Let us. That's the second one down, I think, or so on your handout. Better get my handout here so I can see where these things are and coach you a little bit. Yeah, that's the second one I picked. Uh, let us, we're going to look at that one first, then we'll go back and catch the first part of the verse and all that. So, let us. Now, what I want us to get here is who this is written to. Who's he talking to? And what's he talking about? You may have never thought of this, but all New Testament epistles are written to saved people. Okay? Therefore, what all New Testament epistles are giving instructions about is our walk, our Christian walk. New Testament epistles are not written about salvation, folks. Acts tells us about salvation. You look through Acts, and in there people are asking the question, what do I need to do to be saved? And the apostles and others give them the answer. There are lots of examples in Acts of that as the church was started. The rest of the New Testament, the epistles, say, now that you are saved, here's what you need to do. Okay? And there's all different kinds of epistles. Some of them have got pretty heavy theology in them. Some of them are all about problems. First Corinthians is all about the problems that they had in the town of Corinth, in the church in Corinth. Paul says, now you got this problem, here's what you do about it. You got this problem, here's how you fix it. You got this problem, here's what I want you to do. Whole book. Some are about a specific case. Philemon is written to a slave owner whose slave had run away and tells him, here's what you need to do as a Christian. Some remind the recipients of the letter about the gospel, Paul and other writers sometimes say, you remember how you were saved. Well, here's how you ought to live because of it. Well, that's what the whole New Testament, the whole section of epistles is about. They're about life. They're about, about life in Christ. About the Christian walk. About how we live it. Not about salvation. So when we read this encouragement here to throw off every weight and every sin and all that, we're not talking about how to be saved. 
That's important because we're going to talk about things the rest of this summer that aren't sin. We're going to talk about things that not even aren't they sin. They are going to keep us from finishing the race. We are saved. If you go someplace that the only gospel they tell you is what you must do, and they never tell you about what he's done, that's not the gospel. What he's done is what's going to get us in heaven. Now, in the Christian walk, we want to walk worthy. If we want to represent him well, then we start to think about these things. Now, skip to the top of the second page over there. Here's a phrase, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, we know earlier it says to lay this aside. Lay this uh, nope, I moved it. Endurance, that's what we want. I rearranged those after I got this started. It's not the top of the page, it's the second one. Uh, the phrase is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay? Now what I want us to get out of that is that this is my race. You say, well, I, I know it's my race. No, you may be thinking of it like we all do the same thing. I want to point out here that we don't all do the same thing. Everybody runs a different race. We all run different courses. I know that's a little strange, but we really do. Just look around. It's obvious our, our routes are different. We've got different situations. We have different difficulties. We come out of different pasts. So we've always got, all of us have something different that we're dealing with. And mainly, what I want to point out here is the fact that is in my race, I want to point out something that we heard about last week about temptation. So let's add a familiar device to this. Anybody seen a mousetrap lately? Yeah, now I'm not going to show it again. Calm down. You don't have to have that stress again today. We're not going to show it again, but I bet you remember it. Okay? Because it was a really good picture of the temptation process. Okay? That's why we remember. Uh, and, and here's the difference. We don't all have the same temptation. This is my race we're talking about. Now, one problem with the mousetrap is that it's just so out there. I mean, how dumb can a mouse be, you know? Uh, mice don't have very big brains, I guess. But you'd think they could recognize there's something wrong with this peanut butter or cheese or whatever there. But they don't. They just go right ahead. Now, some animals are smarter. Some of you guys that try to catch big bass, you know, you've got to disguise things a little bit better. Can't just put a bare hook down there. You got to make it look like something that this guy'd like to eat. Okay. You move on up to deer and turkey and things like that. You got to eliminate a lot of so. You got to make sure the sight and sound and scent and movement. You got to hide all of that. You got to disguise things much better. Now, when you get to humans, well, we're not that bright. 
and I think deers and turkeys are smarter than us. Uh, we're not that bright, so we'll fall for a lot of stuff. And it's not the disguise so much that uh, Satan has to mess with. All Satan does is change the bait. Because we all got different things that attract us. Toby used James chapter 1 to explain temptation. Verse 14 says, Each one is tempted when, by what? By his own desire is drawn away. Okay? See, I, I could walk past a mousetrap and have no desire to stick my finger in it. Yeah, it doesn't tempt me at all. Well, Satan knows what tempts us, and so he uses different things. It's your race that you're racing, is what I want to tell you here. Uh, he just uses different bait for different people. My favorite story about this, which I'm sure I've told before a few times, a guy named Richard Taylor came to Northside a long time ago. Uh, he had got off track when he was a young man, raised in the church, and got in with the wrong people and went really down the wrong road. Tried every kind of drug and everything else there was in the world. He told me he had committed every sin that he knew of except murder. He got hooked on heroin. One of his partners in crime finally got paranoid from all the drugs and shot Richard a number of times and left him for dead at a highway stop. Uh, he survived that and devoted the rest of his short life, because of the way he had abused his body, uh, the rest of his life to speaking to teenagers and warning them about drugs and all that. Anyhow, he came to Northside and stayed at our house, and I, I, I'll never forget, we had a Devo after Sunday night, had all the kids in a circle, and they were asking Richard questions. And one of them said, are you ever tempted to do heroin and I'm sitting right beside Richard, and I thought, that's the stupidest question any kid ever asked. You know, after what he's told us this weekend, do you think he would ever even think about trying heroin again? That's ridiculous. And Richard said, if I could be sure of two things, that I would make it to heaven, that my family would make it to heaven, I would do heroin right now. I was shocked, absolutely shocked. Now, why did that shock me so? But I'm not tempted by heroin, folks. You fill this room with it. And I'd wonder what all the problem was, but that wouldn't bother me. I'd walk right past it. You give me the biggest pile you want, I wouldn't care. Satan knows that. Satan never tempts me with heroin. Can't remember the last time he tried that one. Guess what he does try, though? I know you'd like to know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. But it's not heroin. Okay, that's between Satan and me. He... He knows what tempts me. He knows what tempts you. This is your race. This is my race that we're dealing with here. There's not a list of 
how to black and white, this is what you've got to worry about. That's what's the problem with legalism and holiness concepts that make lists of things. You don't do this, this, and this, then you're holy. Those things may not, that, in fact, the people that made the list, those things don't tempt them. That's why they made the list that way. Okay? Satan knows that, and he uses what tempts you. Okay, enough on time. Now let's go to, uh, now we're ready for sin and wait. We're, we're building this up kind of crooked, like I said, but we're going to get there. He says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Okay. Now, this may seem strange to you, but the phrase I put down is, we sin, and we're going to still finish the race. Okay. We've got to know that this summer, or we'll get confused about this. Sin does not disqualify Christians in the race. Okay. You've got to quit the race to get disqualified. Now, in real races, in the Olympics, and track and field, and things we're talking about here, there's a couple of things that will get you disqualified. I mean, if you run out of your lane and do things like that, if you false start too many times, uh, if you cheat, like in the field events, if you know, your shot put is supposed to weigh 16 pounds and you bring a 13-pound one out there, uh, that will disqualify you. So there's ways to get disqualified from earthly races, but generally you have to quit. You have to choose not to finish or be hindered from finishing somehow. Now in the Christian race, in fact, Paul asked it one time with Galatians. He said, what got you in the Christian race? Well, I trusted in Jesus is the right answer. If that's what got you in, how do you get out of the Christian race? You quit trusting in Jesus. Other than that, he says, if I began it in you, I'll finish it. He says, you have that assurance. We have been given that home in heaven. He talks about it in present terms. Now, I know sin can draw us so far away. It can get us so entangled. It can tie us up and get us where we eventually quit the race. But John is clear about sin and a Christian. I put down 1 John 1, 7 through 9 there. You read those three verses and you'll find out three things. We do sin. In fact, that offends anybody in here. I'll tell you what John said. He says, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. So Christians do sin. They don't want to. They don't do it habitually. They don't do it uh, uh, rebelliously, all of that. We do it out of ignorance. We do it out of weakness. We do it out of unawareness, ignorance. But we sin. So John says, we do sin. And then he says, if you sin, you confess it. And he'll forgive you. Well, that's a good for almost everything, except if you're not aware of it. Sometimes we sin because we're not aware of it. We don't think of it as sin. And John goes on and says, well, if you do that and you're not aware of it, the blood of Jesus takes care of it anyway. Okay? 
that's what we're talking about. We do sin, but we're still going to finish the race. We're going to receive our reward. We're going to cross the finish line and get that reward one day. He's going to tell us, well done. No matter how much we stumbled and fell and messed up and got sidetracked and all that, we're going to finish. In fact, everybody crossing the finish line is going to be a sinner. I don't know how many of you travel these days, but when you go to the airport now, uh, you've got to go through all the security and all that stuff, but every once in a while they'll give you a ticket that says you've been pre-approved. And you get to go over this other line that they don't make you take your shoes off and they don't go through everything, and you're okay just because it said so. Everybody else still has to go this through this line where they're going to catch you if you've got too much toothpaste. That gets you over there. But over here, you're okay. okay. Heaven's finish line is not going to be like that. Everybody is pre-approved. That's not because we're sinless, but because of what he did. Now, let's go to this one. Along with sin, Paul mentions some weight. And here's the key point I want you to get today. Sin is not weight. Weight is not sin. We can slow down or we can go slow and not sin. Put these together now. We can sin. We're going to sin and still finish. And when he talks about weight, he's not talking about sin. We can go slow. We can let things hinder us and it not even be sin. In fact, I promised you already, we're going to cover a lot of topics this summer, and I'm going to try not to talk about sin once. Now, some of you are going to be sitting there thinking, well, what he's talking about, that can be sin. Well, sure, it can be sin, but we're going to talk about it when it's just a weight that hinders us, that encumbers us, that slows us down in our efforts to walk worthy And to represent him well. Every topic we talk about can be sin, but we're going to talk this summer about that ounce or two that we want to get rid of. And not everybody will be interested. But those that take it seriously, that want to walk worthy, will. Try to put all this together. I knew another kid in high school... um, John was his name. I won't give you any more. If I told you all his story, I couldn't use his whole name. But he was one of the best athletes. I maybe the best athlete I ever saw in my life when he was a sophomore in high school. Uh, he didn't practice much. He didn't train much. He just had so much natural ability. He just won all the time. He ran sprints. He ran cross country. For the 100-yard dash, he'd sit in the stands until the final call. He wouldn't go down and warm up. He wouldn't go down and stretch. And he'd go down to the line, and he wouldn't take his sweats off. Everybody else lines up and gets down to as little as they possibly can. John left his sweatpants and sometimes his sweatshirt on, sometimes his hood up, and he beat them all. He was just that good. Now, he messed up his life in a couple of years and never became what he could have become as a racer, but he was that good. 
This series is not about finishing first. This is about people who take it seriously, want to walk worthy, want to be the best they can be, want to get that last ounce off of there, get that last tenth of a second, be the best representative they can of our Savior. Okay, now to the very start of the verse. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, okay, some of you in here recognize this picture probably because you're related to him. <laughs> this is Jim Ryan finishing a race in front of a large crowd. And we've got some of Jim's relatives attend here. And uh, I remember this race. I don't even know where this one was. It was just the best picture of a crowd I could find. Uh, I imagine if you asked Jim about the crowd that day, he would say some positive things about it. Why, why, are, why is a crowd of witnesses important to us? Why are witnesses important? Because they encourage us. That's where Paul starts his whole thing. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses. Crowds that attract meat, do you ever notice they all cluster around the finish line? That's where the crowd starts and then kind of goes out from there, get the worst seats farther away from the finish line. They want to be there to cheer on their favorite when he is at his tiredest, when he needs the most encouragement. They want to make the most noise as he comes toward the finish line. Okay? Now, they watch their favorites all the rest of the way. If their favorite stumbles... They'll catch their breath. If their favorite falls, they'll be crushed, but they'll immediately start chanting, get up, get up, finish. That's the way crowds work. That's the way a cloud of witnesses works. And Paul says, we've got a cloud of witnesses that are watching and cheering us on. And you get to thinking about who's in that crowd, in that cloud. That's something. I mean, Moses and Abraham and David and Paul and Peter and Timothy and Titus and Frank and Fletcher and Mamie and Claude and Pete and Walt and Lewis. A whole bunch of witnesses. That's where Paul starts. He says, since we've got this great cloud of witnesses, he said, let's throw off everything. Let's lay it aside. All right, let's finish the verse. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mentioned a lot of famous people, but what Paul says now is Jesus is watching too. He's been here. He's done what he did for us. He's made it possible that we can finish the race as sinful and inept as we are. And he's gone up and sat down at the right hand of God. He's watching. And so Paul's final admonition is this. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. Paul finishes this little section. He says, does it seem hard to you what I've been talking about? Getting that last ounce off? Trying to stay away from things that aren't even sin? Does it sound hard to you? Do you understand? You're going to have to pray and study and think about those things enough to be able to, to discern what hinders you. Uh, most Christians don't think that way. They say, how close can I get to sin and still get to heaven? This summer we're talking to people that are thinking, where's that last ounce I can get off so that I can be a better representative? Paul says, that seems hard to you? If that seems hard to you, remember what he put up with to save you. You think about the scene in Pilate's Hall. You think about the scene when the soldiers got him next door. You think about the scene on Calvary. Hostility by sinners against him. In modern day terms, what Paul is saying here, he says, you go watch the passion of the Christ and then tell me how hard you got it. that after what he did to save you, if you want to walk worthy of him, you lay aside every weight and the sin that entangles us. I hope the verse passage makes more sense to you now. Let's read through it one final time. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders Lay aside every weight, is another translation, and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's fix our eyes, uh, let's run with endurance, with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me tell you about a race, and then we'll finish. I'm sure his family recognizes this picture of Jim Ryan. This was taken on May the 15th, 1965, Kansas State High School Finals out at Cessna Stadium. I am over on the right-hand side, somewhere back in that little crowd. Photographer didn't use quite wide enough angle to catch me, but I'm in there. I was there that day, and I had nothing better to do during the mile run. Nobody had anything better to do during the mile run than to watch. So I got a stopwatch from Coach and made my way into the finish line mixed in with a bunch of officials and coaches and other people where I obviously didn't belong. But I wanted to be there. And I had my own stopwatch for this event that was probably going to be historic. Now, Jim Ryan had broken the four-minute mile before this, but he hadn't broken it as a high school in a high school meet. Uh, Almost a year before, I think, in Compton, He had raced against seven of the world's greatest milers as a 
high school boy. And when the finish was announced, or as they crossed the line, Jim Ryan was number eight. He was dead last. But when they announced the times, Jim Ryan had 3.59. All eight of them had broke four minutes. One of the greatest races ever. So he had broken it before, but never in a high school meet. And this was his last chance, and everybody just hoped that this would be it. That he could do it, and we could see it. Uh, they set it up with one of his teammates, Mike Pedersen, to kind of sacrifice himself to help Ryan. He ran much faster than he normally could or would on the first half. He ran a 201. It set the pace for Jim. That hurt his overall time. He fell back behind him, but still finished second. 201 at the half. They had it on the stadium clock. 302 at the three quarters mark. It's going to be close. It's going to be real close whether he could do it or not. But he ran a fantastic last quarter, and the crowd came to its feet for the whole almost minute, less than a minute. When he crossed the line at this exact instance, I clicked my watch and I looked at it. I had 358.3. A few minutes later, they announced the official time, and it was 3.58.3. I got it. It was quite a day. It was one of the greatest sporting events in history. But what I remember most is not Jim Ryan or 3.58.3. What I remember most is the guys around me, these people at the finish line. They were all coaches, they were all officials, they were all people that had devoted their life to track. And when he crossed the finish line, and it was obviously under four minutes, first they cheered. You can see the guy that was holding the tape there jumped higher than he probably ever jumped. <laughs> first they cheered, and then all these tough old coaches cried. And then all these tough old coaches, coaches hugged each other, and then they cheered some more. Because they understood what had happened. They knew what it took to do what they had just seen be done. They knew that Jim Ryan for years had had to get up before anybody else in the world and go out and run through the streets of Wichita. They knew that he had to devote himself to things that nobody else worried about. They knew that in practice at East High, many when they, at times when they were running intervals and things, Ryan would start 5 or 10 or 15 yards behind the rest of the team and then have to catch up. They knew that the week of this race... In practice, he had run 10 quarters, 10 440s, with a slight break in between, all of them under 60 seconds. They knew what had been put into this. They understood it. Paul says in Hebrews 1, we have a great cloud 
that knows the cost that was paid. They know what it cost our king to make it possible for them and for us to finish the finish line. And they're watching. And, and from what we know about spirituality and humans, I know what they're doing. They're cheering us on. I think they gasp when we stumble. I think they encourage us when we fall. Get up. Get up. Keep going. I think they hold their breath when we get close to one of those temptations that bothers us. We start to wander toward that trap. I say, please don't. Please don't. Please keep walking worthy. Leave that alone. Lay it aside. Just walk worthy. And when we cross the finish line, they're going to be cheering. They, they, they know we're going to finish. They're going to be cheering because we walked worthy. We're going to sing a song called Glory Land Way. If you're not in the Glory Land Way, it's so simple to get there. You'll have a great cloud of witnesses to help you and encourage you in your Christian walk so that you can cross that finish line when we get to the Glory Land Way. If you need to fix that this morning and do something about it, please do so. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.